With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And good evening, Laguna Beach. Thursday night, 8 o'clock. And that means it's time for Laguna Talks. I'm your host, Billy Freed, and tonight we welcome the new pastor for the Neighborhood Congregational Church, Pastor Rod Eccles. Uh, will be joining us in a moment, but I, uh, I thought it was a great night to speak with him, given the recent events uh, and uh, future events happening here in Laguna Beach this coming weekend. And uh, just a pervading sadness is uh, coming over this country And that's why I chose this opening song tonight. This is Charlie Mingus with Goodbye Pork Pie Hats. Lou Reed once called it the most saddest song ever written. And this was about jazz great Lester Young after he passed. So stick around. Laguna Talks will be back in a moment with Reverend or Pastor Rod Eccles from the Neighborhood Congregational Church. Good evening, Laguna Beach. It's time for Laguna Talks. And our guest tonight, as I mentioned before, is Pastor Rod Eccles from the Neighborhood Congregational Church. Good evening, Rod, and thanks for coming in. It's really a pleasure to be here, Billy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Let me just make sure I got the <coughs> levels up. I know you're an old radio guy. <laughs> yeah, I was um, a student at Brown University uh, back in 1999. 
and I had an opportunity to get involved with the student radio station there. And I uh, played music, uh, a little bit of jazz and R&B. And then I also had a gospel radio program for a couple years. Wow. So I had a little bit of a diversity of work, and I just love radio. I love what you do. Have you thought about uh, getting a little show on this little station? Well, it's, it's an idea that we could consider if you want. Yeah. I'm just happy to be here with you. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned gospel because uh, you're from Memphis, Tennessee, and you grew up in a church-oriented family? Yeah, you could say I grew up in uh, an African-American um, Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, so uh, you did have a lot of that, what you might say, a conservative think, but also a very strong interest in family and friends and a lot of food. A lot of food. And, and what about music? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Music. Did you guys have a gospel choir? Two-hour services Man. every Sunday, gospel choir, eight songs. I, I, I'm going to say this in all seriousness. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if, we had a, if we had a gospel choir here, I'd probably go to church. I'd probably mm -hmm. find my way back because there is something. It's like, you know, I saw some, um, a choir sing in downtown L.A. not too long ago. They were all homeless mm -hmm. Uh, uh, people that uh, somebody had brought together mm. and they sang a beautiful, beautiful hymns and, and afterwards they said, this is sanctuary. Yes. Yes. And it really struck me that this is when you're in that ecstatic moment, that shared collective yes. ecstasy of song yes. and prayer, it's sanctuary. You feel safe, protected. It's, it's really special. You, you know, Billy, whenever I talk about gospel music, I always start with the motivation and that is it comes from a very strong historical dimension, right? A people who at one point were enslaved and experiencing some of the worst atrocities you could have ever imagine as a human being. Yet they found in their experience a song, a reason to sing, a mm. reason to hope. And those songs still sit with us today. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Yeah. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. If it had not been for God, where would we be? I mean, these are amazing spirituals, and we call them spirituals exactly because they speak to our need, our desire, our hope for liberation. Yeah. Liberation from the ills of this world. So tell me, gospel, I, I know some of the roots of uh, Americana music uh, started with blues, yes. uh, and certainly there was uh, slaves picking cotton mm -hmm. in the fields of Louisiana, Absolutely. Mississippi, places like that. They got a hold of European instruments, yes. guitars, uh, brass instruments, yes. and they were able to bend the notes, which had nobody had ever done before. Yes. And it, it, it expressed a kind of wailing, yes. a pain. A kind of creativity. Creativity. A kind of living in the moment. Here we are. We have these tools. We have this real clear experience, and there's a need to find our way through it. And so we work our way through it kind of like a, like a gumbo. Mm. And how did kind of like a like a, a mix? How did of this elements. music find its way to church in this particular form known as gospel? It's got blues to it. It's, it's, got, it's got a bluesy funk. feel to it. it. It absolutely does. What I what I learned over my over my history of, of reading and, and looking at the history of this is the, the slaves particularly found a way to recreate what their white slave owners were doing. So the white slave owner had a church. They created a church in the shack behind the big house. Right. Um, they couldn't get married in the, in the traditional white Christian way, so they created their own rituals with their broom. So they jumped the, they jumped the broom because they didn't have a ring to wear. Okay. Right? So they just recreated what they saw and made it authentically theirs. Right. And the music was the same. We have this wonderful, beautiful uh, 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 hymnal music, this amazing expression of music. Let's make it our own. It's creative. It's expressive. Yeah. It's unpredictable. It's loose. It's, but it's still beautiful. It's and it's beautiful. whole.
and it's sound. And the harmonies are yes. so rich. Yes. Um, are your parents involved in the church? Well, my mom was definitely a churchgoer. Uh, she was the mother of three kids. I'm the oldest of all three. And she decided at a very young age that she was going to take us to church. And let me tell you, Billy, we went to church. We dressed up. I wore three-piece suits to church. No kidding. <laughs> now, this was all your mom? Was your father out of the picture, if I may ask? Oh, it, no. I, I don't mind you asking. No. He, um, he is uh, an engineer, actually, living up in Los Angeles, a wonderful man. And uh, he and I, while we didn't grow up together, uh, we found each other since. Okay. okay. And our, close, so our closeness is stronger than ever. Beautiful. That's great. Reconciliation. Mm -hmm. But your mother was the, really the, the, the person who raised you. Yes, uh, she was the, the, the matriarch and the patriarch, if you will, mm -hmm. in the family. And she was the one who taught me how to tie a tie. Yeah. And she was the one that taught me the value of family and the value of love and the value of taking care of those that you really, really value in life because she did it for us for 18 years right. of my life. And extended family too, her parents? I'm so fortunate because um, we had an amazing sort of extended community, mm -hmm. people that re uh, really raised me, uh, really taught me how to, how to grow and how to be a man. Um, her, her sisters were, were like the, the real clear examples in my life of, of how, to, how to share. I, there's a story that I love to tell. Um, uh, when I was about 15 years old, um, I was at my aunt's house, and she was a huge lover of 70s music. She loved soul music. That's my next hour, by the way. Uh, really? It's called uh, Old School Bump, and it's oh. uh, mostly funk music, but a lot of, lot of Motown soul music. I'll we never forget, I was in her house, and she's a, such a lover of the music that she played a song by Stevie Wonder called As, A-S. Mm -hmm. You familiar with that jam? Absolutely. She played that song, and it was like an out-of-body out experience. We went to church. We were sit, sitting in her living room listening to Stevie Wonder wail that song out. And, over, and, and, and also, you know, it's a long song. It's yep. about nine or ten minutes long. Yep. And we literally went to church clapping and singing and, and crying at each other because the cathartic, ecstatic moment, it was as if we were in a gospel experience. And, and nobody can channel uh, grace and a, a sacredness than, more than Stevie Wonder. Absolutely. And he's still doing Stevie it. Stevie Wonderful. Well, uh, he does, you're lucky you're living on the West Coast now because he does a, an annual show just before Christmas to raise money for children. And uh, he does it up in L.A. And two years ago, he did the entire album cover to cover songs from the Key of Life, which is, for many people, as significant as the White Album is of the Beatles. I mean, it's, it's, it's his master work. And uh, three, three and a half hours nonstop performing. And to hear his vocals live, you just goosebumps, the hair on the back of your neck. Will, it, it's on this guy channeling a higher power. Absolutely, and and, and I was a real. I just want to say, please. I was a huge Prince fan, and I'm still, oh, yeah. I'm still destroyed that he's gone. But at least we still got Stevie. We do, and I think it's so important to honor and value these men and women of music because they, they cross generations. They have a, they have this ability to speak to everyone because they speak to the heart, the the, the real need to care and nurture each other, and to do it in a way that no one is left behind. Right. They are so powerful in capturing that. So good segue because uh, I want to talk a little bit about race relations. Okay. Did you grow up in an integrated uh, neighborhood, or were you mostly in an African American community, or? Oh, uh, yeah, I grew up in a, a very strong uh, African-American community. Um, my mother uh, was a, an, an administrator at the University of Memphis at the time. 
Oh, over 30 years, in fact. So she retired recently. Congratulations. But, oh, yeah, she's so and proud. And she obviously put a lot of stock in education. Yes, she did, which is why, even though I was in a very strong uh, black neighborhood, um, she worked hard and toiled hard and really made sure that I got access to the best education, so much so that I was admitted as one of only three uh, African-American students to uh, the elementary school that was on the university's campus. Mm. And you had to work hard to get in here. You had to apply. You had to test. Yep. You had to get on the waiting list. And I got in. I didn't get in my first year, first grade, but I got in for second grade. About six, seven years old. And from second grade until sixth grade, I had the best public education you could find in Memphis, an integrated public high school in Memphis with the best of everything, music, arts, uh, English, math, you name it. But when you say integrated, yes. you said there was only three black students. In well. Well that's, a big, that, well, that's a big deal in my mind because when, when I use that word integration, I don't simply mean ethnicity. I'm talking, okay. I'm talking about the full spectrum of experience. Fair enough. This, this was a public school that had uh, uh, accomplished teachers and PhD mathematicians and uh, uh, really gifted uh, language uh, uh, professionals. This was a model. As an elementary school. But this was a very special school. Yes, it's a public like. elementary school with, with the best of the best on a university campus. And, and Tennessee has some interesting um, if I remember, uh, uh, educational programs because of Lamar Alexander. Yes. And they were an early proponent in charter schools. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you had a guy named Chris Whittle out of Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember years and years ago who uh, was trying to completely privatize uh, public schools. Mm -hmm. And Lamar Alexander was, this was back in the 90s, mm -hmm. so before your time, probably. No, no, I, I, actually, I am aware of that. Um, Lamar was um, actually a very strong proponent of, of what we were doing at my elementary school. He mm -hmm. held it out as a model of how to do public education in Tennessee. Right. And I'm still a very strong proponent of that school. I'm, I'm a very proud alumni. I go back for all the reunions because I tell people all the time, education is the reason why I'm sitting here. Yeah. Education is the reason why I'm an African-American preacher sitting in the paradise of California at a progressive, wonderful church on St. Anne's Drive. <laughs> Without that, I wouldn't be here. I'm from the South, man. I'm right. From, I'm from Tennessee. Yeah, but yet, you have a worldview because yes. of education. You yes. mentioned Brown University, a fine yes. Ivy League school. Yes. I mean, it, to, to be able to go to a great elementary school, uh, uh, the, the best of the best uh, high school in Memphis, and to get a scholarship to Brown University, it's only because of education, and it's only because of my mom and the people around me who pushed me forward. Great role modeling. Absolutely. So... Here we are, and I want to get back to your early days, but, you know, I mentioned race, and uh, we had this horrific incident mm. last weekend. I was off on Catalina camping, and I had two days, three days unplugged, and in this news cycle, that's a lifetime. You come back, and you see what's happened here, and I'm Jewish, and I hear, I watch these tapes on Vice of these uh, alt-right, whatever you want to call them, neo-Nazis, fascists, um, but the hate that they spew... What, Rod, is going on, as Marvin Gaye would say? <laughs> you know, I think uh, it's, it's so funny you started with, the, uh, with Marvin uh, as a question um, because he, he simply poses a question that I think is so universal, that idea of what's going on. Because when I hear that, what I simply understand is he's speaking to the experience of a whole. I think many groups in this country, whether they're African-American, uh, Jewish, uh, uh, Muslim, um, LGBTQI, 
you name it, uh, anyone who's in, of the other, if you will, who's not in that super majority, if you will, that we've reached a moment in our experience, no matter, no matter how we enter that conversation, we come at that question, what's going on with the idea that fear, fear is drowning our country right now. Many people are living in fear, both, both uh, forced on them, but also experienced from the core. Because when you have that experience that is so painful and so frustrating and so, and so violent on the spirit, um, you start to get anxious and, yeah. and, and scared and fearful of what's coming. And so it's a, it's a kind of a consolidation of fear in the heart. And it, it's very painful and it's, it's very depraving of life. And so I, 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 look at, I look at that experience of what's going on and I see a world that's crying out for love and crying out for reconciliation and crying out for a voice that says we can live together mm -hmm. we can be together we don't have to have us and them right we can be a both and kind of place and yet it feels like yeah. there is more overt racism yeah. in our country today than any time since perhaps the civil rights movement of the 1960s I've yeah. in my own personal experience now one could say, is it a result of just more social media? Is it, there's just more coverage? But we see all these examples of young black men getting gunned down by policemen. That's, of course, happened for a long time, but now we have the videotapes, we have the, the cams and everything. So it's, it's, it's certainly amplified on social media, as you said, and this was long ago, Michael Moore's thesis when he did uh, Bowling for Columbine, the movie about gun violence, it's related to the media and how the media is constantly running leads about right. violence because of the old saying, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And, uh, and, and thus conjuring fear in people right. who then go out and arm themselves to the teeth yeah. and uh, generally use it on, you know, when, when there isn't a violent exchange, it usually is an argument amongst family. Rarely is it used in self-defense, but I, I stray from the topic no, here. No, I'm with you. Are we experiencing a heightened element of, of racism. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to be a black man today, um, being in an urban environment in a city. You hear, you know, now we hear the stories about mothers warning their sons about how to behave when a cop car goes by. As a white man, we don't think twice. But you have to really have your guard up. You have to be so careful in your actions because the reality is you're, you're vulnerable in a way that I can't even comprehend. You, you know, when I was growing up in Tennessee, one thing that was very clear to us is we've, we've seen racism and we've seen discrimination since the beginning of our lives. You know, when I see what's happening in, happening in this country right now on such a wide scale, I can't say it's new for me. I can't say it's something that I've just started to experience or something that I've just begun to appreciate. This has been a part of my experience, particularly since I left Tennessee and went to an almost, uh, almost an all-white school in uh, university Providence, in Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, where I was a fish out of water. Where you I experienced was, it there as well. Where I was a kid who was, in many ways, bringing his, his Southern Baptist conservative values to a very open and liberal arts uh, progressive university. And yes, there, were, there was a clash of cultures. For me, it wasn't so much a uh, racial or, or ethnic uh, uh, frustration. It was more, frankly, about a religion and spirituality. 
believe it or not. So, so I had the so, sort of racism slash discrimination dynamic growing up in the South, but when I went North, it was more about what you believed. So there was a, a strong uh, faction of atheists or people that would challenge your faith? Oh, man, I met all kind of types, Billy. I mean, we're talking atheists and skeptics and everything Nihilists. in between. Oh, man, it, it was incredible being able to, first of all, be on that campus and experience for the first time uh, not only different perspectives of Christianity, because I knew those existed, but being in an environment where I was taking courses and living with and 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 learning from and going to parties with you know Jewish kids and 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 Buddhist kids and uh, and, and kids who call themselves you know Zoroastrians whatever that means I mean I'm, I'm here I'm here I'm hearing all these different pieces of the cocktail and I have to admit to you in the beginning um, my frustration my fear was that I was losing right that that somehow my christianity somehow somehow my faith was less was, than was less than was losing out because i'm at this university with everything but that what's going on as marvin gaye would say right my experience was being spoken to in a deep and really powerful way and of course in an ivy league setting where people are exchanging ideas they're going to and they want facts and science and this that and the other yes. the idea of faith is, is a far-reaching concept for them it's, it's not determinative Right, it's, 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 it's part of, it's not the consistent whole right. as it was for me. It was my worldview. It was how I saw things inside and out. And so getting to a place like Brown and, and over that first year or two, you know, experiencing new uh, perspectives, um, it really helped me to start to, to think a bit more. And I have to be honest with you, it was a conversation that I had with um, a very uh, great friend of mine. Um, I won't call him out because I, I don't have his permission to do that, but I will just simply say that um, in a conversation with him, um, uh, he came out to me. You know, we were sitting in a very, uh, a very uh, tender moment. Um, we were sitting in the dorm room uh, and, uh, and I was sharing with him some of my faith beliefs, some of my conservative worldview, if you will. And he came out to me right there in that moment and I remember sitting with him and thinking well first I asked why are you coming out to me <laughs> why are you coming out to me why why share this with me when I just clearly told you how I feel or how I've been taught to feel meaning you're also um, against homosexuality yeah, against homosexuality something okay. something to not be celebrated something to Got not it. be embraced and he looked at me and he said Rod I'm telling you this because somehow I believe you can handle it I believe you'll listen to me if I tell you now there's something powerful there, Billy. Yeah. The idea of listening to each other. Right. I look at this world and I am just so, so hurt and so, so saddened by the fact that people are simply closed and not willing to even listen right. to the other. And I sat with him for a few hours and that changed my life. How so? Because after that conversation and a series of, of following conversations with more friends and, and, and my chaplain and, and ministry friends and all the rest, I started to really ask myself, what am I truly all about? What, what is my Christian faith truly all about? Is it about me or is it somehow about this world and helping people to find a better sense of themselves and love by the creator? And I got to say, I started to really go on a journey a real journey of reading and meditation and prayer. Um, you know, I read, I read Malcolm X in a new way. I read 
king in a new way. I, I read Buddha for the first time in my life. I, I, I looked at you know, other uh, religions. I, I, I discovered uh, Rabbi Abraham uh, Heschel, uh, a wonderful Jewish scholar, which, I'm, mm -hmm. which you may have heard of, and, and his wonderful books on liberation and, and helping people to come, out, come outside of their shell and to overcome oppression and evil. And all this really spoke to me. It was like, it was like gumbo in my grandmother's house. So, you, so you're saying that when you got to Brown and you're, you were somewhat dogmatic yes. in your Christian faith. Absolutely. And this opened you up to a world of, of say, tolerance yes. and uh, compassion. And wisdom. wisdom and creativity. Non-judgment. Yes. It's not about the certainty. It's about the search for wisdom. Right. What a, what a powerful paradigm. But you never uh, had a, uh, uh, a lapse of, of faith? No. So that, that was your constant. That was a thread. And you know what's funny? You asked that. Because that's interesting. I think part of the reason why I kept the faith dynamic going, and, and I, hope this, I hope this will make sense to your audience, it was because of my love for music. Because through, through my entire life, I've been singing. Yeah. Whether it was in a gospel choir in Memphis, Tennessee, or the gospel choir at Brown University, or the gospel choir when I was in graduate school at, at Boston University, I've always found a way to sing my faith, even as it has evolved over the years. So now I can look at an old hymn, such as Amazing Grace or uh, um, Angle Let Nobody Turn Me Around, and look at them in a new light because they speak to my personhood. They speak to my humanity. Yes, God loves me. Yes, God cares for me. But they're really speaking to me and my place on earth and what I should be all about for everyone else. Got it. So what, what was your major at Brown? Uh, I majored in political science. Okay, because they didn't have a divinity major as an undergrad, I'm assuming. Well, well, they did have a religious, religious studies. Religious minor, studies. Which I did take a few courses, but okay. my focus was on public policy and political science. I read that you were even thinking of becoming a medical doctor at that point. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So remember the school I told you about in, in Memphis, uh, my high school. Yep. I went to a fabulous uh, school called East High School. Uh, shout out to East High School if you guys are listening. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, the, the short story is um, I had a, a, a great teacher who uh, encouraged me to get into medicine. And then I had a grandmother who passed away, unfortunately, uh, from high blood pressure. And, and that encouraged me, that pushed me to want to do something about it. Mm. So I went to Brown with this idea of becoming a doctor. But as I, as I mentioned to you before, um, as I started going on my spiritual journey, my sort of pilgrimage uh, from certainty to wisdom, if you will, um, I also made my sort of parallel jump to say, hmm, well, if I love spirituality, and it's, if, you, if, if, it's, if it's evolving, and it's, and it's becoming more about liberation of the soul and the spirit, um, then perhaps my calling is a different kind of calling, a different kind of health calling. Mm -hmm. It may not be the laboratory. It may be the pulpit. It may be the mental health. Yes. And the pulpit, you decided that path while you were still an undergrad? You I was still at Brown. Junior year. Junior year. Said, this is year. it. I know what I want to do. Here we go. And it was that... Well, that was the beginning. The catalyst was the conversation with the gentleman who came out to you, yes. and that gave you sort of a conscience of who am I, why, yes. why am I going to judge him negatively? Right, right, and then you right. said, I, you had a lot of wisdom to impart. Yes. Did you go straight to graduate school? So I, I took a little detour because, you know, you got to pay some bills. You got to pay oh, some yeah. of those loans off. So, so, <laughs> so I, um, I went to work as a nonprofit fundraiser, and lo and behold, uh, whether it was working for United Way or St. Jude Hospital or Brown University, uh, or UC San Diego. I kept doing it. One, one year led to 14 years. 
of fundraising. So grant writing and grant writing, corporate development, individual solicitations. I've done it's it all. It's a great gig, isn't it? Oh man, it's been, it was so good to me because it taught me the value again of listening. If you're going to be a good fundraiser, if you're going to be a good preacher, men, mentor, minister, whatever, DJ, you got to be an exceptional listener. Someone right. who understands the motivation for the person sitting across from you so you can get what it is you're there for. So when did you actually make the segue to Divinity School? Well, I always had a passion to go to Divinity School, but I decided to wait a few years, uh, pay some bills, and then I entered about three years after Brown. And this is at Brown University, do they have a specific program that would lead you to a job as a pastor? Yeah, well, y you mean you mean like career? You, you like mean you mean Boston University? Boston. Yeah. So I went to Boston University for grad school from 2006 to 2009, and yeah, I mean it had a uh, we had a cre an, an incredible sort of um, uh, set of mentors and advisors who would help us to uh, sort of search and and sort of figure out which church or denominations we might want to join up. This was a Christian school, so we had a very wide representation of denominations. Got at it. School. A guy that I know quite well here that actually. Um, yeah, I'm in the kayak tour business, and yeah. he, he does tours. He's a waterman. Mm. He went to Harvard uh, Divinity School mm -hmm. a few years ago and got school. a master's. But from what I understand from him, they, they're not really vocational-oriented. It's more the philosophy right. of, of religion. Yeah, Boston University is sort of a nice mix of the two. Mm -hmm. We pride ourselves on being a mix of philosophy and vocation. Right. So my master's degree had a very heavy, heavy treatment of uh, historical uh, approaches to religion, the history of religions, but also a very interested uh, spirituality curriculum. So we're talking meditation, mm. and we're talking studying otherworldly texts like Higher the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita. And nice. I mean, these were, uh, I mean, we're, you know, all of the all all the different uh, uh, wisdom texts from the Jewish literature. I mean, we had an amazing. I'm set sure of you studied the Quran as well. Yes. Absolutely. Can you give me the sense of when you look at the world religions, yeah. uh, and I'll include Hinduism, mm -hmm. Muslim or sure. Islam, sure. Christianity, Judaism. Yeah. I don't know what else I would add to that, but more. what's the common thread? Don't these religions have more in common than they have in difference, differences? You know, um, I wish the audience could see my face right now because that's a question that I've wrestled with for quite some time. Because on the one hand, I want to respect the authenticity of each faith because they each bring something powerful and special to the wider conversation. So we want to honor that. We want to keep that in place. But at the same time, I do think I do think there are a few threads. You know, as I as I look at my study and my my passion, I have to say. Uh, I think the Buddha and his uh, his approach to consciousness is a very strong thread. Uh, I always like to posit sometimes that Jesus himself uh, went to uh, the East uh, before his ministry really kicked off mm -hmm. and studied Buddhism. Interesting. Um, I don't know that for a fact. I'm just they saying, were both I'm, very humble. It, yes. Men. Yes, and they both spoke to a consciousness about how to treat people, right. how to live a life of love and sharing and, and consciousness. And I, I just like to believe that somehow he got some of that Buddhist teaching before yeah. he came back and did his thing. Right. And, and I like to point out to people that in the, in the Quran, I mean, yep. it's obviously there's extremist interpretation of Absolutely. the Quran as there is of the Bible. Yes. Um, yes. But 
they're very pious and, mm -hmm. and, and the five tenants, you know, going and praying five times a day and going yeah. to Mecca. Yeah. And, uh, but, but one that really sticks out for me because I see it as a thread with all religions is mm -hmm. compassion Absolutely. and helping those less fortunate. Yes, and, and that, that sort of speaks to that, that idea of consciousness because if I'm conscious of the world around me, I mean really conscious, not, not this idea, oh, I'm just looking at this person across the street and I see a need, but, but really conscious, the idea that if that person is better, I'm better. Mm -hmm. Right. That's when the whales of compassion really the open interconnectivity. Up. Yes. Of That's all when things. compassion comes alive. Right. So um, you came from, as you mentioned, a conservative Christian background, Baptist. Mm -hmm. Is that the same thing as would you put that in the same box as evangelicals? You know, I, I hesitate on, on that only because from from my perspective, um, I think while there may be many similarities between what you might call an evangelical or, or conservative uh, way of thinking, there tends to be a, a, a very strong ethnic uh, dimension uh -huh. there. And so I hesitate to say they're the same. Because, because I do associate evangelicals with white people. I okay. don't think of them as black. Okay. But, 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 if, but if you look at some African-American traditions, um, they would be evangelical, but also very strong ethnocentric with gospel choirs and ecstatic mm -hmm. preaching and very wide spirituality. So, so sometimes they mold together, sometimes they don't. But I think the thread between the two is there tends to be a strong ethnic dimension. Okay. Well, I'll say this about white evangelicals. Okay. And I don't know if any, if I can speak to the black experience, okay. but with President Trump's uh, statement uh, after the Charlottesville, uh, where he refused to name the the right, the alt right, yep. as culpable in all yep. of this, yep. Yep. Um, yep. we saw business leaders from Fortune 500 companies repudiate him. Yep. We've seen uh, the commanders in chief of all the military branches repudiate him on his uh, stance with LBGTQI. Is that mm -hmm. I don't know, Alkin? Mm -hmm. We haven't heard any evangelical. Priests, and I'm, again, I'm talking about his base, the white community. None of them have stood up and denounced his comments. Are you surprised? I, I am. Um, I have to say, I, I'm sitting here wrecking my brain as well, asking myself, have I read anything? Have I, have I come across anything? Perhaps your listeners know something we don't know, but you're right. I can't think of, I can't think of anything at this point that would tell me otherwise, uh, and it is, dis it is disappointing. Because they have stuck by him. Yes through every transgression. Yes. If we look at Barack Obama, if he yes. had done 1% uh, of the stuff, said the things that Trump has said, done the yeah. things he's done, yeah. he would have been pilloried. You, uh, are you familiar with the old uh, Southern strategy? No. The, the Republicans back in the day, um, before, before our modern uh, political uh, world came to view, um, they had a very strong Southern strategy, meaning that if we secured the South and if we kept the South, we would always stay in power. Mm -hmm. And that whole di that whole sort of uh, dynamic, uh, I think, came back in a really strong way in 2016. Sure did. And now it's on steroids in 2017. I mean, we've seen redistricting, yes. voter suppression, yes. all of these things of the, keeping them in power Absolutely. in the South. Absolutely. And you know, here on the more let's call it progressive, integrated coast, yeah, w people are amazed that the Republican uh, Senate and Congress haven't taken a harder stand. And I have to remind them that in their states, in their constituencies, Trump is still very popular. He's still got a majority of people in some of these southern states. And uh, a friend of mine is a, is a cartoonist, a political cartoonist in New Orleans, 
He's, yeah. he's battling with his editors every day because they say he's coming to, down too hard on Trump. Mm. He wanted to hold Trump responsible. He mm. was, you know, he was complicit in Charlottesville, maybe not directly, but indirectly. And uh, his editors tried to censor that, mm. which is a shame. Um, so here you are in Laguna Beach. How did this happen, by the way? <laughs> Thank you. For I'm asking. jumping around. No, I don't mind you asking. By the um, way, it's, this is Pastor Rod Eccles here on KX 93.5 Laguna Talks. We're, we're talking spirituality. We're talking uh, humanity in an, in an era that uh, we're in, in a time that is so divisive, as you said. Um, we're hearing, I, I believe there's two different narratives in the world. If you look at the source uh, information that the alt-right or even just the right-wing Trump supporters are citing on their Facebook feeds... Yeah. It's websites I've never heard of. It's it's this, there's a whole nother world out there that is propagating a message that has nothing to do with anything that we're familiar with um, in the so-called mainstream media. Uh, and so I, I, I there's these two bubbles. And, yeah, there are. And, and I, we're going to talk about that in a second. Th there are two bubbles, and you're right. I, I won't preempt you because you're right. We're going to we're going to come to that. But let me say this. I think. Uh, the reason why I came to a place like Laguna Beach, well, let me say this first of all. I've been in California since 2010. Okay, so okay. that, I'm assuming, was your fundraising? Yes, fundraising. UC San Diego? Fun, fundraising brought me to San Diego. Okay, UC you San had Diego. not been a pastor before? Not full-time. Full-time. Not, not, not on my own. Okay. okay. But then I linked up with a wonderful progressive church in Costa Mesa, okay, and I became their assistant pastor, and I was there for five years. And which church? It's called Fairview Church. Fairview Church. It's right by the OC Fair. Right. It's a wonderful progressive church. What denomination? Uh, United Church of Christ okay. and Baptist. UCC. They respect both traditions. Interesting. Okay, mm -hmm. right up to your wheelhouse. And that's what I, yeah, because it's inclusive. It's, yeah. It's understanding of all traditions. But anyway, um, so it, I searched for an opportunity where I could come in and be a progressive-minded uh, pastor who was allowed to preach a word, a liberating word, a gospel word to the soul and to the spirit. And I didn't think it was going to happen in, in a Laguna Beach, but lo and behold, here I am. What was that? Is there a, uh, how, how did the actual screening process, did yeah. you find out there was an opening? Did they come to you? You know, you know they, they, I found out they were looking for a pastor uh, late last year. And um, at the time, um, it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing for me to do because I was still working on some certifications and trainings and things like that. So I, I told them no gracefully because I thought it was a wonderful opportunity. And then after that, uh, as we got into this year, Things became more, uh, uh, you know, sort of available to me. More opportunities were possible for me because I wasn't as committed. And uh, found they were out still looking. They were still looking, and so that's when I formally applied. And the rest is history. What was the um, interview process like? You know, I have to say, this church, I think they were ready-made for someone like me mm -hmm. because I came into the process, and they were already pretty clear that they wanted to be a progressive-minded church with a very strong interest in, in a different kind of Jesus, a progressive faith, uh, a many-paths kind of church. I mean, they told me all that. And obviously, that's who I am. That's my theology. Yeah. That's how I see the world. So I saw real kindred uh, kindred spirit, a very strong consciousness that we shared, and so it was very seamless. It felt smooth, almost, almost kind of otherworldly, that we got along so well. But is your message, the meaning, or yeah. anything that you're presenting, modified in any way because you're dealing with an, a rather affluent, homogeneous community that's, let's say, privileged? 
uh, as opposed to the kind of message that you grew up with in a, in a, in a much more uh, ethnic environment? Uh, what's different about Wow, that is a fabulous question. And I, I have to admit to you, this is probably the first church where um, that is so prevalent, the idea that, that we are very, very uh, blessed and, and, and should be proud to be blessed. And what I mean by that is we don't shy away from the goodness that life has brought us. Mm. Uh, we don't because it brought us to who we, where we are and who we are. But at the same time, um, my role uh, as pastor of, of this great people um, is to always point us uh, to what I believe Christ pointed us to, and that is the value of serving and helping one another. And not just this small community of Laguna Beach, but the wider world as well. And so I want to lead us in a conversation about how to be good progressive Christians, where we're sharing an old story that's relevant in our time, that's focused on compassion and peace and serving everyone else, and also respecting many paths. Because if we respect many paths, then we find a, a better sense of ourselves. We're, we're somehow better humans because we have a greater knowledge and a better wisdom about all experiences and not just our own, which propels us to what we really believe, what we really believe. You know, someone asked me the other day, Reverend Rod, you're a progressive pastor, you call yourself a Christian, but you respect many paths. What exactly do you believe? And you know what I came to? Hmm. And I want to try this on you, Billy. Let me know what you think. All right. I came to this idea that what we believe is how we treat each other. What do you think? Absolutely. What we believe is how we treat each other. Sure. It's an action, compassion that you were talking about before. Right. So how does it, is that the full answer then? But what, when a guy asks you, what, what do you believe? Well, if I had to make it succinct, it would have been how we treat each other is, is what we believe. But right. if I were to be more expansive about it, I would say that if you look at the many religions of this world, no matter which ones you want to pick out, both mm -hmm. small and everything in between, there is a very strong emphasis, at least from my vantage point, on this idea of good ethical action, good right. moral work in the world. Right, and if, and if, Yes, and, and if we take that and if, and if we channel it in ways that are focused on charity and works of justice, right. we're somehow getting at, better, getting at being better humans and better, uh, better faith people. Well, I love that message, Reverend Rod, because when people, when we talk about organized religion in this country, yeah. you guys have a bad, you know, bad rap. There's, yeah. there's definitely some PR that needs to be done. And I do like to remind people that in my experience, the church is usually the first responders to any kind of crisis. I was down in New Orleans after Katrina, and the first houses I saw being rebuilt were church-driven, uh, church including the Mormon church, and, and all, you know, very surprised in Japanese churches, uh, Shinto, I believe, or a form of Buddhism. They were all in New Orleans because that's what good Christians do, and I think that's really strong. But you guys are in a tough place right now, I believe, and I think NCC was looking for new leadership precisely because I'm going to talk about the business side of religion. Bills have to be paid, rent, and you got to either keep your congregation or grow your congregation. And congregations, I believe, across country are in mostly shrinking because people don't have the same faith that they used to. So here you are, a young man uh, with passion and ideas. Uh, how do you, uh, it, how does, how's that going for you? How is it going to revitalize that church? Well, it's going great. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think, I think there are a couple of things I want to tease out with you. Uh, one sure. is first, I, I really do think 
first we as a church have to orient ourselves around what exactly we mean when we say we're Christians. And so to that point, um, starting in September and going through the end of October, I'm going to be leading a, a sermon series at our church on progressive Christianity. Every Sunday from September 10th through October 22nd, I'm going to be preaching a, about a different tenet of what I call progressive Christianity. A regular service? A or? regular service. Every okay. Sunday, Sunday, 10 o'clock. From September through the end of October, cool. we are doing this sermon series so that folks can first get a sense of what we mean when we say we're progressives. But, and we're also Christian. So we have a belief in the teachings of Jesus. We have a respect for many paths. We have a very profound commitment to justice, a profound commitment to treating people equally and fairly and, and rightly. We have a very strong interest in looking at the world and seeing ourselves as a part of a larger conversation, a journey towards wisdom and not certainty. All of this will be our focus for that series. So first we have to be clear about who we are. And then secondly, I think it's important for us to open our doors to the community in a way that can speak to people's passions. Laguna Beach, from what I've, from what I've seen so far, um, is a thinking community. It's a creative community. And it's the kind of place where people want to learn and, and be challenged and grow. I, I, I really feel that. Mm -hmm. So we as a church, we, we can't sit by and say, y'all come. We have to find a way to say, here we are, y'all. Yeah. And, and I want to work with the church, not just to say, let's define our Christianity, but let's open our doors in a way that shows the action, the justice, mm -hmm. the interfaith work, the education, the empowerment. Let's show it to the community. Well, And let's let it become who we are. I think that's fabulous. And you also have um, something very important happening this weekend. Yes. You and I spoke before we started the show about how fortuitous it was that we... We had to reschedule a couple of times because of conflicts, and here we are sort of at the apex of this, of this um, awful episode of, of hatred that we saw in Virginia. And for those listeners who don't know, and there's been a lot of talk about it, there is a demonstration of another, I'll just call them alt-right group. Uh, this one's called America First. They say that their focus is illegal immigration, and they are uh, going to be gathering, they're not going to march, I, I understand, because you have to have a permit, but gathering at Main Beach on Sunday, this Sunday, uh, August 20th at uh, 6.30 p.m., and it's created a lot of anxiety in this town. Um, after the events in Charlottesville, of course, um, one thing we're concerned about is a huge counter-protest that might bring people in from not just Laguna, but all over, maybe even L.A., to stand up to the forces of hate. Um, and we fear that it could turn violent. Um, there's been a lot of posts about how to respond to this, and, and some of it has said, uh, of course, preaching nonviolence, and others have said, don't even show up, don't give them the platform, that gives them the media attention. And you have uh, an answer, a program that hopefully can, in, in many ways, help people through this. So why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, well, and I want to say uh, first to the folks who are listening and also to myself, because I'm speaking to me as I say this, uh, love, love still lives. Um, I, I know there's a lot of fear in the world and a lot of xenophobia and a lot of things being said that just are not true about you and me. We are still here, and I believe that our voice is still strong. We have a, a task to remind ourselves and this wider world that love still reigns. 
And so I just want to, I just want to say that, Billy. It's important to say it. I know people want to hear it, or maybe maybe not know that they should, you know, think about it. But I want people to remember that love still reigns. I I'm, I appreciate you saying that, and yeah. I want to ask you, what would you say to one of these alt right neo Nazis? If you were, some of them I've seen on, they're they're quite articulate. They're yes. educated. Yes. They but they hold a a view that they're not. Uh, ashamed to say that they believe this was a country settled by white people. They right. forget there were Native Americans here before that, and that it should continue to be that way. How would you talk to them? Yeah, you know it's interesting when I when I think about this 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 world in this conversation. I I first want to try to understand in my own uh, set of thinking what I'm bringing to the conversation. You know. When I say I don't want to be judgmental, well, I truly mean that. I want to come to a conversation genuinely wanting to listen and to understand where they're coming from, to really, un to really appreciate why they think what they think. Um, I can tell you this personally in my own thinking, because I used to be a, what you might call conservative, you know, evangelical thinker. That, that worldview, that, that way of seeing the world as something that will ultimately go away so that only we're left to be raptured and, and, and brought to heaven in, in God's hand, if you will. It's a very strong way of thinking. It's a, it's a way of seeing the world that says everything else doesn't matter except, except us dying and, and, and being in God's, uh, God's good graces. I, I, think, I think that way of thinking um, is, is so dangerous and so, and so um, um, it, it deprives us of our ability to see the world uh, with love and, and, with, and with humility. So. Um, I would engage uh, that person in, in a very open and honest conversation about what I mean when I talk about love and compassion and justice. And I want to make sure they know that I heard them. We may disagree. We may not see eye to eye on everything at the end. But, but I want to believe at the end of that conversation that it was civil and that we heard each other. I think right now, as I sort of touched on before, fear really drowns us and it, it takes away our ability to listen to each other. So here's what I told my church and here's what I'm telling all the churches who come to our interfaith vigil this Sunday. I hope my my sincere prayer is after we do this vigil on Sunday at five o'clock at Neighborhood Church, we will then follow it up. Follow it up, Billy, with dialogues and discussions about race, mm -hmm. about gender issues, about LGBT concerns. And I wanna invite other voices. I wanna get people involved in real clear, sacred conversations about these topics. Yes, the, the, the demonstrations are good, the, 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 the services are gonna be great, the gathering will be beautiful, but if we are not doing our job of educating and empowering people to really sit with these topics, mm -hmm. then why are we having an interfaith vigil on, on Sunday at five o'clock? Right. Why are we doing that? why but you have something on saturday as well right so saturday well it's not it's not my event but i understand there are there are other events being planned one of them is on saturday uh from 10 o'clock to 12 p.m uh, it's at a main rally beach. at main beach okay. it's not my event but it's, but it's about love and, yes it's yes. about love and equality and inclusion yeah yes and then and our event on sunday is a is a interfaith vigil at 5 p.m where members of the laguna beach interfaith council as well as myself and other faith leaders from Orange County will come and provide a very strong faith dimension to love, compassion, Beautiful. and justice in our community. Wow. And that's at, that's at NCC. NCC, on 5 o'clock. 
So it's not going to be at Main Beach. In fact, it's it's intentionally separated from the, the protest. You're not going to then march down to Main Beach. Oh, well, 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 folks who want to march can do that. But 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 we're going to advise them if they do do that to not march down to uh, Main Beach. Right. But to march down to another peaceful alternative location away from Main Beach okay, if so, they decide to do that. So your advice in general, even if they don't come to the interfaith uh, gathering at 5 p.m., yes. just to people in general, you would say, don't confront this hate group? Yes, that's what I would say. Yep. You know, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, you know, should we do it Sunday, should we do it Saturday? And what I told the person was, well, well, we can do it Sunday as long as we're not confronting, as long as we're not uh, making it, uh, uh, you know, worse than it already is. Right. If we're not exacerbating the situation, let's be peaceful, yep. even on Sunday yep. and Saturday. Now, I'm going to guess as a positive man of faith here that yeah. that you would say, it's always darkest before the dawn yes. is one way of putting it. But I have a lot of friends and I have my own personal belief that uh, it's almost a coping mechanism that this age of Trump had to happen because we had to reach a nadir. We had to reach the bottom before we can sort of flower again in human consciousness and that this is a good thing, that had Hillary been elected, we would have all felt very safe. We would have all felt secure as we did with Barack Obama. But we wouldn't have been aware of this deep chasm that's going on in our country, the pain, as you said, the fear, the opportunity to heal, and that maybe, just maybe, Trump is a catalyst that we need in the world to once again thrive in love and, and, and harmony and peace. I think we're seeing it with so many young people, people getting involved in politics, 40,000 women going into politics for the first time. We need that maternal uh, leadership, right? We need that compassion. Uh, so, can you speak to that, Reverend? I, I can try, because um, I think you said it well already. Um, here's how I take that. You, you know the great quote by King when he said that the, the arc of history bends towards justice. You've heard that quote yep. before? Yep. Um, you know, I, I have a little spin on that. I always joke and tell people, well, he never said the arc was linear or somehow smooth. Right. There's some jags, mm -hmm. there are some detours, there's some twists and turns, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah. And what you're speaking to is a very strong twist in the plot, yep. this nadir that you talk about. And it's up to us to seize this moment it's an opportunity, and change the conversation. And Absolutely. I, and I would think it's a great opportunity for uh, progressive churches. Absolutely. And to show that the Christian church is compassionate, is tolerant, is non-judgmental, that there is a path of Christianity that is all about decency and love and... and, uh, and well and, said. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're running about five minutes here. How's, how's everything in Laguna Beach? You learning oh, to surf time, yet? Time flies. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed this so much. Um, Thank you. Will you come uh, back again? I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, uh, I will admit to you in Laguna Beach that I'm not the best swimmer. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so, That's a good thing to acknowledge before getting in the ocean. So, so I, I will admit that my, my swimming lessons have to be uh, scheduled as soon as possible. Okay. But, but I, I, I think, um, you know, once I, once I move down here, by the way, I'm, I'm You're not I, here yet. I, well, I have a place, but I haven't moved in yet. Mm -hmm. So once I get settled in, uh, which, will, which will happen soon, I'm really looking forward to getting to know this community. You know, I was, I was telling my church the other day, y'all are going to see me. Good. Can I offer you a, a spiritual experience of kayaking in the ocean? You don't have to be a good swimmer. We'll put you on a, on a life jacket and get you. A, I'll go out with you, and we'll paddle this coastline, and you will. I guarantee you, you will see God. 
I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> you know, one of the things I, I, I part of my faith is nature. Hmm. And when, when, when on November 8th, when this, this man child got elected and hmm. I feared for the worst, hmm. I, uh, my solace was going into our open space, going into our uh, protected wilderness hmm. and communing with the trees, the birds, the flowers, or going out in the ocean and seeing the kelp patties and the fish and uh, really all that I would say God has created, or however you want to call it, source, uh, and be so overwhelmingly joyous and in gratitude for the bounty of nature yeah. and beauty that we have. And yes. you talked about your congregation acknowledging the gift they have and, 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 and being in gratitude. It's so important. I wish we had more hours, but let me just say this quickly. Um, yes, your focus on, on, on nature and, and creation are, are very much in lockstep with, with us and, and how we see our, our progressivism. In other words, just taking care of our fellow man and woman, that's just part of the conversation. Um, if, if nature is truly a living being, if, the, if creation is alive, then what are we doing to care for it and nurture it? Yes. And if we're not there, then we're not doing all that we ought to be doing for okay. justice. So climate change is real? Absolutely. Okay, just checking. Because <laughs> I've heard some churches, you know, say, no, it's God. You know, it's not, it's not science. It's, it's mm. just it. Okay. No, no, no. I, I do believe that climate change is real, and I believe that we are contributing to it. Yep. And I do believe that if we are not careful uh, with ourselves, we're, we're looking at some irreparable um, damages and, and consequences to yep. our actions. Love is the way. Well, compassion for the earth. Absolutely. It goes all the way across the spectrum. We have compassion, to nurture. infinity. You Absolutely. bet. Reverend Rod, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate it. It's I'm been really my honor. looking forward to all the, uh, all the hope and inspiration you bring to this town. And uh, uh, neighborhood congregational churches, the church I like to go to, they, they, uh, they bring in the Buddhist uh, the Tibetan monks to do, I'm sure you've heard about the sand mandalas, and you have Pam Wicks rocking the... Mm -hmm. The music there mm -hmm. and uh, Michelle McCormick mm -hmm. and lots of progressive folks uh, who believe in the importance of spiritual path Absolutely. and uh, I know they're very very excited to have you there and uh, what they've experienced so far has been overwhelmingly positive well I want to thank you for having me and thank you for helping me to appreciate even more deeply the the profound spirituality and, and diversity of experience in our town I cannot wait to get settled here okay this is incredible when are you moving I'm in just so happy to be here hopefully within a month or two all right all right all right we're gonna go kayaking <laughs> I'll look forward to it Reverend Rod Eccles <laughs> of the neighborhood congregational church having a very special interfaith uh, interfaith what do you call it uh, uh, vigil vigil Sunday, 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. at the church. If you want more information, you can look it up on the, I guess, Facebook page. You doing all that social yes, media stuff? Absolutely. Okay. Stick around. We've got music, Old School Bump, coming up at the 9 o'clock hour. This is KX 93.5. Such a night. You're such a night. This was 
Somebody else will. If I don't do 